What is up, Freaks? It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I sat down with Tom Luongo. We had a great conversation. I can't wait to do it again. That was an invigor one, invigor, invigorating one car. I can't speak. Still, uh, still very tired from Miami. Miami was fun. It was invigorating as well. A lot of late nights. I'm happy I came back Saturday. Yes, sir, it was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your Bitcoin security model and to give you financial services so that you can use your Bitcoin to do cool things. Like use it as collateral to get dollar liquidity if you need it. You don't have to sell your Bitcoin. You can put Bitcoin up as collateral. Good for taxes too that way. They have an IRA product. And of course, they have their, their Volt product. This is a two or three multi-sig collaborative custody model. You hold well, two keys, excuse me. Unchained holds one. You always have control over UTXOs in the vault. Or if you're ever in the pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig. Quorum, they have a white glove concierge service going to take you from zero to having that set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sets in it. Tell them the TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off that package. Go to Unchained.com. Unchained. Dot com. I need to enunciate. Make sure I'm driving people to the right websites. Unchained.com. Check out everything they have going on. This room is also brought to you by good friends at Brain. Brain. Hung out with the Brains team a lot. Last couple of weeks in Houston. We had Edward Evenson there. BTC Gandalf was there. Last week in Miami, Edward Everson, excuse me, Evenson. He doesn't like when I mess up his name intentionally. Uh, he was there following me around Miami as well. He wasn't whipping uh, firmware devs to get the, the what's miners out. I saw Daniel, my boy Dan Frumps. I saw Jan as well. The brain share behind brains. The brains behind brains, if you will. The man is bringing you. The firmware that helps you stack more sets with your hash. If you have an ASIC and it's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, you're, you're leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. This is what the Brains team does. It's not just me just saying Brains. They actually make shit. They're a team behind Slushpool. They make this firmware. They have insights.brains.com. That's Brains with two I's. I-N-S-I-G-H. TS.BRAIINS.com is their mining data page. Everything you need to know about the mining industry is there. Brains.com is their regular website. You can learn about Slushpool. You can learn about the mining metrics. They have a blog. And of course, you can learn about the firmware. Again, you have an ASICS that's compatible with this firmware and you're not using it, you're leaving sats on the table. How do you want to increase your your the productivity of your mining operation without pouring any more CapEx into it, you simply download the Brains OS Plus firmware. Very, very simple. Go check it out. Everything we got going on, brains.com. This room is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a no KYC AML lending platform that allows you to use your Bitcoin as collateral to get stable coin liquidity. You go to lend.hoddlehoddle.com, L-E-N-D.h-o-d-l-h-o-d-l. Dot com, you put your Bitcoin up, 
into a multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty holds a key. Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. You put your Bitcoin up as collateral. You get stablecoin liquidity. You go spend that however you see fit. As long as you're paying that loan back, plus the interest, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. And since you have one key in that two or three multi-sig quorum, you have visibility into the escrow account throughout the duration of the loan. You know that those Bitcoins aren't being rehypothecated. So you're going to have certainty that your sats are going to be there when you pay back the loan, plus the interest at the end of the day. And they're going to be sent back to you. So go check everything that they've gone on at len.hodlhodl.com. They've also got Hodlhodl as a decentralized exchange as well. No KYC, no AML. They're doing incredible things out of Latvia. Enjoy this trip. It was a good one. I'm tired, but I'm happy I had this conversation. A little bit, a little bit more invigorated after. Love you, freaks. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. And he'll, I'll eventually, he'll eventually calm down. He'll ignore me eventually. If a, I cat, a cat named Cal. Yes. Does he look like a cow? He's pretty big. <laughs> Uh, we are live. Tom Luongo, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Marty. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. We had a big week in Miami at the Bitcoin conference last week. I came back Saturday. Right. And now I have uh, my wife's sister and our brother-in-law and their kids in town. So it's been, uh, been a long run here, but I'm excited to sit down and speak with you. It seems like the global spring has sprung, sir. Mm. Yeah, that, that's one way of putting it. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, I I went to Bitcoin twenty twenty one last year, but I didn't go this year. And I kind of wanted to go, but I just didn't have uh, the time or the like the bandwidth. Actually, you know, put it together and 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 make the trip. And I'm only three hundred. I'm just I'm in North Florida, so it's not actually that big a big a deal for me to go down there. But how was it this year? It was a great event. It was a great event. It was a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. very productive for me as well. Yeah, I mean, we did a live podcast there on Thursday, and then I was on a is. ESG and attack on Bitcoin panel on Friday mm-hmm. morning and that and that mm-hmm. was uh, well attended and, and very contentious um, <laughs> as as one may expect. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting interesting point. I, I mean, I'm so caught up in the right in the the ebb and flow of geopolitics at this point. And obviously, what ESG is means to to commodity and and energy uh, uh, investing that I haven't really thought about it from the perspective of. Uh, Bitcoin per se, but I mean, they had a panel on it, on that last year. It was a Kevin O'Leary covered a panel about uh, you know uh, how the miners should they or should they not you know color their bitcoins as to whether or not they're environmentally friendly or not. We're all like, all like no, shut up. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I hadn't really given that a lot of thought recently, but it, it's an it's an issue simply because you know these 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 freaking people will just not let anything go and. Uh, Every and any challenge to their potential power or perpetuating their power is just going to attempt to be shut off. And they're going to do it in the most ham-fisted way imaginable. And they're going to do it in the most underhanded way imaginable. So 
it is what it, you know, but we know this is coming and there's just so many, I just look at the, the whole Bitcoin market as a whole, and the whole space at this point, that the brightest minds in the world are against them. And they're the oldest, most dullest and dullest minds in the world. And they have power, but they don't have like, they don't have any precision. Right. Well, and another thing too, and, uh, go ahead. they don't have meme power. Like, I think we can win the narrative battle. I'm, I'm coming yeah. more confident in this is that I think we're better at distilling information and, and getting it out there. And yeah. most importantly, pointing out how hypocritical and dangerous they are. I mean, the, the oh, yeah. ESG is dangerous. It has put us in the situation where we have food shortages. We have uh, unstable energy markets and you know, we're becoming less secure year by year because of uh, maybe it's not ESG specifically. It's certainly a factor in it, but these people trying to micromanage a, a global economy. Well, I mean, they are technocrats and they are communists. So what do you expect? I mean, it's just that simple. And I, I don't, you know, people get angry with me when I reduce all of this stuff down to communism, because I think communism is a little too freaking fashionable, if you want my honest opinion, um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's not cool, dude. You know, it's just not. It's actually really destructive and terrible. Uh, and it's a mindset. It's not a, um, it's not an economic system, you know, and anybody who tries to like play it off that it is an economic, it's not, it's a mindset. And the mindset is total and complete control over the way you operate. And I, I, and I, and I know this well enough. It's, it's no different than when you talk to hardcore objectivists within the libertarian circles that at the end of the day, it all just winds up being one big stupid purity spiral. And if you're not part of, you know, the, the, if you're not part of the group that has the truth, then you will eventually be ousted. And this is exactly what will happen within, this is exactly what well, effectively Davos is doing now. Um, and they're doing it to everybody. And now they're doing it to the entire world. Like they've fomented a war in Ukraine with Russia. And, uh, and now they're using every aspect of their political power to perpetuate a conflict that should have already been over. That under any other normal military circumstances, Ukraine would have surrendered. Yeah, why, and, is it, um, why isn't it over? It's not over because they don't want it over. Um, it's just that simple. Zelensky is being told not to uh, surrender because the minute he surrenders, then Ukraine would cease to exist as a, effectively as a state, right? They would have to now start um, dealing with terms. They would have to start you know, negotiating terms of settlement as to what happened, as to who gets what and how much is owed and all that stuff. And the one thing that will happen in all of that is the, is the presentation of evidence, which while this isn't a court case per se, think about it like a court case. And what's the one thing that these people, you know, the bankers on Wall Street or Hillary Clinton or any of these, these evil freaking people, what do they do? Whenever there's a potential legal challenge to out them in public, what do they do? They settle out of court before you ever get the discovery. So part of the whole point of extending the official conflict. And this is why Russia's failure to take Kiev is so important because had they taken Kiev, this would be a done deal um, because they would have lost the capital. And then, you know, Zelensky could not surrender in exile, but like, you don't have a country to not, sur to not surrender, dude. You're, you know, you're Juan Guaido at this point, you're just some dude and um, denying reality. So, that's part of the reason why this isn't because they want this war to continue because they want world war three and they want world war three because they, they have failed to just fully 
get everybody embraced into the post-COVID narrative of uh, vaccine passports and you know the total surveillance state. And they have they haven't gotten enough of us on the uh, uh, on in line with them, having fallen in line. And Russia, China, and most of the global South has also refused this. And because of that, they have to go to war with them because their goal is global domination. Their goal is to right the wrong of the Soviet Union and the last push towards global communism, which was that they got Russia and China to fall, but they couldn't get the West to fall. And they firmly kind of believe this idea that if we could just get everybody on the same system, it'll all work eventually. And that's, it's a naive thing. It's, it's like talking, you know, like multi old leftists I used to argue with when I was a member of the Libertarian Party. And they would, um, they would make these like in the sky arguments about this stuff. And they're like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, that's not the way human beings are wired. And we're never going to get to that state. So stop arguing for it. And this, this is what we were stuck with reality. And so suffused with their own sense of righteousness and their own sense of rightness that you can't even, you can't, uh, you can't reason with them anymore and you can't cut a deal with them because they're not interested in cutting a deal. They're interested in subjugation. And they're convinced that the world can only sustain one to two billion people. So therefore, we have to get rid of all these useless eaters or we have to put them on UBI and let the robots just feed them and give them video games and porn and keep them revolting. That's they've been saying the bio part a lot recently, and it's really quite scary. It's very scary. Um, your your internet connection seems to be coming in and out, but I think I caught most of what you're saying. When I and I also think right. one thing that I heard you say recently is really encouraging. These people are dumb to an extent. Like their 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 hubris has gotten so large, and they've gotten so complacent. I mean, the vaccine rollout is a perfect example. Like they. they push that on the world and it's becoming obvious that it's poisoning people and you, you have mm. people fleeing Moderna and Pfizer in mass right now it seems like it's going to become glaringly obvious that that was a terrible terrible mistake that was made uh, and uh, yeah they're, they're not going to be successful in fomenting uh, enough strife amongst the people and be able to say, hey, come into this digital panopticon. They're definitely going to get people all pissed off. People are going to go hungry, and energy yeah. is going to be more scarce. But I okay. don't think they're going to be able to use that to push us into the CBDC. Yeah, no. And this is the, the, the thing that really is bothersome is that um, they are kind of failing. While at the same time as they think they're winning. That's the scary part about it. They're on a script. They don't have any other options. Um, and yeah, I have been known to say that like, Power doesn't make you smart. Power makes you stupid. It makes you indiscriminate in the way you use it. And you don't have to be sharp uh, and precise with your application of power. You just have to be, you have to say, well, we're going to do this. And um, as Dick Cheney, not Karl Rove, even though this quote is um, attributed to Karl Rove, it was actually Dick Cheney who said it. So like, we're in the reality generation business. We generate reality, which then you spend all your time trying to figure out what reality we created. And by the time you figure out what reality we created, we're off to the next reality that we're creating for you. Um, that is kind of Davos writ large. They are moving forward along every vector of this, even though they don't have universal or anything close to universal um, consent for it. And there's competing technologies out there. 
like Bitcoin, especially Bitcoin, especially, and I use Bitcoin as a metaphor for all hard Bitcoin style proof of work coins. Okay. I don't, I'm not a Bitcoin maxi, but mm -hmm. I'm a kind of, I'm a proof of work maxi, right? You know, screw proof of stake. I mean, I don't mind proof of stake for, for, um, for financial purposes, but it should only be built on a platform. It should be only built, be built on a, on a monetary foundation of, of hard proof of work because money, because the creation of new monetary units has to come with opportunity cost. It has to come with human toil. It has to come with a human making a decision to do something with his time to impute value to his time and then tokenize it, which is what Bitcoin does, which is what proof of work does in the larger sense. And Bitcoin is the, you know, the best example of this. Um, you know, whether or not, you know, Bitcoin is technologically capable of, you know, taking us into the next age is irrelevant because we're not living in the next age yet. And so the whole maxi argument to me is just kind of, it's like, it's like, it's like libertarians arguing about Ancapistan or, you know, um, or communists arguing about the come the revolution, like, uh, you know, what we're going to do with the glorious workers paradise. Like none of these things are going to happen anytime soon. These are processes that you move towards and you allow the market and you allow people to figure out what technology is going to be best. Proof of work is the technology that matters here, not the particular coin itself. So yeah. in my mind. Yeah, Bitcoin's winning the proof of work battle. That's like that? not, Bitcoin's winning the proof of work game by by it, it, it may. orders and of magnitude. I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not, uh, I'm not against the idea of that. Well, I'm just always willing to be. I'm just always willing to be skeptical that that's going to happen. Like, like I own everything. Like, you know, I like Bitcoin. I like gold. I like, I like, you know, I like some of the other coins. Like, I don't have any problem with that. And I, I'm not a matter. And I, and I don't want to get into that weed because I just don't think that that's. I think that's another one of these false dividing lines between people who should be agreeing, right? I think the whole Bitcoin maximalist argument is just another purity spiral that leads people into bad places. Like, let's not argue about that. We both agree that proof of work is great. Let's like move on and go fight the real fight, which is central bankers. Yeah, you know, well, this is oligarchs. Yeah, again, we don't have to get in the weeds of this, and I, right, people right, would consider right. me a Bitcoin maximalist, but I don't like purity tests either. Uh, right. <laughs> I just I. I, it's fine. I focus on Bitcoin and specifically Bitcoin mining. So I'm like in the Bitcoin mining world, buying natural gas wells and plugging in net generators and mining Bitcoin mm -hmm. with it and mm -hmm. sitting on the board of company of a company that's mining Bitcoin in the US. Uh, right. And but that's like so that speaking of replacing central bankers, that's what sure. that's, so the mining layer is going to replace the, the Fed window essentially. Uh, you're, mm. you're not going to replace central bankers in the sense that you have people actually uh, dictating any interest rate associated with Bitcoin or the supply, obviously. But right. you'll you'll have the the window replaced where the, the facilitation uh, and distribution of, of new monetary units uh, happens there, and then you'll have financial applications built on right. top of it. And when you yes. play that out into the future, it's just like a really cool thought experiment. Uh, to walk down is we're going to have energy companies replacing central banks essentially because mm, yeah, energy no, com energy companies have the lowest cost of energy uh, energy production exactly yeah, yeah no, absolutely I, my friend John Seth um, uh, you know calls Bitcoin an organism that uh, feeds on energy subsidies <laughs> it does and, and kills them and kills them it's a very it's a very it's a very apt metaphor I really like that I really I really like that uh, John's idea. John says description. That? John says description of miners as energy pirates is one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 it's, it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant observation. It really is. Um, and um, 
So, yeah, I and, and you can see that happening all around the world. And you can it's obvious, you know, I, I find it really interesting to, to see how I, I've been saying this for a long time. I'm like, well, this is it's an obvious ploy at some point play at some point for the Russians to turn around and legitimize Bitcoin mining as a legitimized industry within Russia, because who has the lowest cost of energy generation in the world? You know, other than nuclear, well, it's going to be the Russians and either oil or natural gas because they pull it out of the ground for less than everybody else. And, you know, until the day comes when the ruble is so freaking strong, we'll cross that bridge when we get there that it's, you know, that it becomes expensive to mine Bitcoin in, uh, in, in Russia. I just don't see that happening anytime soon. They, they literally pulled out of the ground for, you know, a current rate somewhere between seven and $9 a barrel. Like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And, um, even with, um, even with tariff costs to the government, you know, it's, it's the Russia's break even point is like, is a sliding scale, but even at this point, it's like forty dollars a barrel. But if it gets below forty dollars a barrel, then the tariff goes away, and they're back to producing for nine to twenty dollars a barrel, depending on the producer. So it's ridiculous. Like it is, it's just truly ridiculous. So it's just why, you know, the 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 Russian regulations on Bitcoin, while not good or perfect from any you know anarcho libertarian perspective, is a framework for legitimate businesses to go and go that forth mine Bitcoin and add it to the banking the existing banking system. And to allow the existing banks to act as intermediaries to get around sanctions and to allow companies to to operate, you know, out of the shadows. It's still going to tear the. At the end of the day, Bitcoin's still going to tear the Russian central bank apart, but you know, it won't. But it doesn't have to do so tomorrow. Yeah, that's. How does this play out in the long run? The, the, if Bitcoin is allowed to proliferate as an industry in Russia, the, is that? The an erosion of of Putin's power over time. It's so far in the future that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's let you know. It's 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 we're talking about something ten years from now when Putin will be out of power. Putin will be retired by then. He doesn't want to do this forever. If he's even alive by then, if we haven't killed him by then, like, <laughs> let's you know, like, let's not um, let's not get again. Let's not get too far out of the world of reality. You know, let's let's just oh. talk about. It's like it's, let's just talk about where the incentives lie today. This is the way. This is the world I live in right now. This is the way I. This is the way I analyze the world. It's just to go through and go look at where people's incentives are at a particular moment in time, and those things are going to shift as the rules change and as the conditions change and as people react in real time to you know move counter move point counterpoint, and so you could see the Russians, for example, uh, preparing for a war they knew was coming by finally pushing through uh, cryptocurrency regulation and making it you know legitimate part of the banking system. You know, a couple of weeks before the invasion, they lifted the uh, the VAT on gold purchases. So, so you know, Russian people can go and buy gold without having to pay a value added tax up front in order to, in effect, you know, preemptively strengthen the ruble and or strengthen not the ruble, but the Russian domestic capital position by saying, look, you don't have to go trade out into dollars or euros or something else. You can trade out into gold and it won't cost you anything other than the spread. And that spread you know, between Russian gold dealers or between you and the bank should be less than, you know, some foreign currency trader under sanctions. So that should keep the capital from fleeing once the, once the war that they knew was coming started and the sanctions that they knew were coming came. Right. So. Yeah. No, it's, 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 just, it's fascinating. I was going through your Twitter feed this morning too. Mm-hmm. preparation for the, it's, the, the, chess moves are happening so quickly now. You were talking about yeah. Le Pen in France. Mm. Um, like potentially taking out Macron, 
and and here with like Russia and everything going on, it's it's very interesting to see this all unfold very quickly. You have riots um, and movements happening all throughout the world, mm-hmm. or like Sri Lanka, Shang- whatever is going on in Shanghai is just like another right. added variable yeah, to the mix. So you know, it's funny, Marty. I was you know before you know this morning. I, mean, I took a break working on my taxes, which is always, you know, a, a vomit-inducing experience. I was doing um, that this morning, too. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. Um, to uh, to work on a, a blog post, a public blog post, which I haven't, you know, written anything in a few days, so I hate to not water the blog. So I was working on a, a piece this morning. I'm about half finished with it, just trying to go through all of the regime change operations that are in play on both sides right now. I, I, you know, I look at the situation as it stands. You had Imran Khan was deposed in Pakistan over the weekend. We've got Sri Lanka. I haven't even really thought about Sri Lanka, but you bring it up. It's a great point to bring up that they're going to default on their debt. You've got the obvious regime change operation going against Putin right now with all the sanctions and everything else to try and get, you know, to try and impose regime change on the Russians. It's not going to work. Um, you've got a potential regime change in anger in France. You've got a potential regime change operation by necessity in the United States, where Barack Obama is, uh, is clearly angling to get rid of Joe Biden before the midterms. So, you know, all of the and, and the way I was approaching it and, the, and the, trying to approach it in the article is to say, look, war is terrible. War is never the answer. Uh, but, you know, underneath the fog of war, is brings clarity to all the political positions of all of the people who are on the knife's edge, you know, as you know, vis-a-vis this war. So why they decided to go to war in the first place? Because everybody, sta- everybody deciding on you know on going to war, standing on a knife's edge. Should I or should I not? You know, step to the right and go to war. Step, step off the knife's edge to go to the left and back off in super peace. And every and everybody in the West chose to step right, while the Russians were kept saying, "Hey, why don't we?" Step left. Let's just agree to some terms, and you guys back off in Ukraine. You know, we'll sell you. We'll sell. We'll sell everybody gas. We'll have a good day. Let's just end this. And by going to war, we now see just how tenuous the positions of various leaders are in the West, and how strong Viktor Orban in Hungary was for standing up and saying, "No, I'm not for this war," and why. Biden is in trouble for prosecuting it, why Boris Johnson is even in trouble, his poll numbers continue to drop, and why Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron is in serious trouble of losing the second round to Marine Le Pen, who's not like the greatest gift to France like since De Gaulle or anything. She's actually really quite weak, but anything would be better than Macron. Um, but then again, I was listening to some commentary by Alexander Mercurius over at the Duran the other day, and, and he made a very good point in saying that, and I love Alex, I always like giving Alex's due whenever I can, um, made the very good point that even if Macron wins, I, mean, I don't know if he, and Martin Armstrong also made this point, which is even if Macron wins, the anger in France is so palpable against him that it may cause a, you know, a complete uprising within a year in France anyway, that he may not even last simply because, or a year or two or whatever, simply because, you know, the French couldn't bring themselves to hold their nose and vote for the far right Marine Le Pen, who is anything but, you know, she's only far right in the minds of, you know, French communists, <laughs> um, which is you know, it's ridiculous. That's like, I know that's redundant, but, um, 
and you know, if they just if if you know if the people who voted for Jean Luc Mélenchon, the the kind of left populist who almost made it to the second round, he, he came in at twenty two percent. He was only only a point and a half behind Le Pen. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if the scenario in Mariupol with the French Foreign Legion and the French generals that were trapped in Mariupol, if that had actually become bigger news in France earlier in the election cycle, like an, a week earlier, and had become big news, it Macron could have lost the first round. And it could have been, you know, Le Pen versus Mélenchon. Because it was really, it's really close. If it wasn't for basically the French boomers, because the only demographic he won was the, you know, the old people. So everybody else is like, we're done with, we're done with these, with these Davos fuckers. We're just done with these people. We don't want them. And um, so the anger in France is so palpable that it could easily force a regime change and, uh, you know, the end of the Fifth Republic in France. And every young Frenchman that I've talked to, and I've talked to a few, because I have a friend of mine locally who's French and, you know, plugged into this. And he and, you know, and other people that i talked to all say the same thing. They're like, the Republic doesn't work anymore. It doesn't function. The government doesn't function. It's, it's even less functional than, you know, uh, the Constitution is here in the United States under the Democrats which is obviously not the case here. So it's really weird like where we are. We're in this moment of time where this war has broken open and laid bare everybody's vulnerabilities, including Putin's. Oh, yeah. And, um, and um, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out because uh, it could play out in ways that no one is expecting. And... Um, and if that is the case, now which would be, you know, it would, and I want, and I'll be honest with you, I hope it is something like Macron gets overthrown, Mario Draghi gets overthrown in Italy. Um, you know, the Democrats are in such disarray for the midterms they can't even, you know, cancel the election and, you know, <laughs> under martial law because that's what they're going to try and do. You know, they're going to try and do. That. I mean, they're. It sounds they're like they're trying. To, they're trying to bring COVID back. Um, yeah, so that they can, you know, they can, you know, print a whole bunch well, of ballots and just, you know, steal the election again. <laughs> Yeah, or well, you have Hunter's laptop becoming top of mind again. It seems like so people are getting ready for uh, an indictment Something. there, uh, which is very interesting. You had Rep. Johnson, I believe, who was on Fox mm-hmm. News with Maria Bartur. Uh, I forget. I'm not going to pretend to pr- pronounce her last name right now, but Bartiromo. Yeah, Bartiromo. Um, I'm Italian, dude. That's like it comes, it comes natural. <laughs> They were talking about it. it. Seems like something's going on there. Yeah, it's and then you had uh, Jen Psaki come out yesterday and try to prep people for the inflation print today. That was an interesting tell there as to how yeah, worried they were about yeah. today's. And then and then gold broke, you know, broke higher by forty bucks today. Yeah, so, so we're watching gold today, but gold gold hit like a uh, high in nineteen eighty, and silver busted through to nearly twenty six dollars. That's a big deal. Like silver is technically breaking to twenty six bucks. That's like the kind of this. It's got to hold it through the end of the week. It's only Tuesday. So we have to get through Friday where they'll come in and bomb the thing and, you know, move it down a dollar and a half in 20 minutes when, because somebody decided it's a good idea to sell $7 billion worth of silver in four minutes. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. One, plays, plays jingle bells. What's your perspective on the precious metal markets? Are Comex and uh, mm-hmm. London Metal Exchange, are they just pure manipulators? Like, does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can these can okay. these precious metals break the manipulation? Um, yes, given the scenario. Yeah, they can. And the way they're the way it's and the way it's going to happen is, it's a combination of things, um, and it's complicated because there's a lot of moving parts. But 
The first is that the Russians have effectively tied the ruble to gold, which then ties it to oil, which then ties, ties it to natural gas, wheat, and all the commodity space. So as Zoltan Pozar put out the other day in a note from Credit Suisse calling, uh, saying that we're on the verge of Bretton Woods 3, which would be, which would be a return to a commodity, mining, uh, commodity money standard, which I don't disagree with whatsoever, uh, the Russians have made that now abundantly clear that this is the path we're going to take. What Putin has done is to do the exact opposite of what Kissinger did in 1973 with the Saudis to establish the petrodollar. When oil was at its highest point, had it just quadrupled in price back in 73, that's when they pegged the dollar to oil, right? So what has Putin done now? Putin has pegged the price of oil to gold at a similarly high price. Mm-hmm. And now it's going, to f- it's going to force the price of gold up to match the real cost of extracting commodities. No longer uh, will the futures market be the price ta- price maker in gold and silver, but it'll be the price they'll be the price taker as the uh, the vaults on the LBMA and the COMEX are drained, or more gold has to come out of storage to flow through the system. And because because one of the things about gold, right? I mean, we, we're all Bitcoiners here. We all know what stock to flow ratio is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is a brilliant idea by Safety and Moose. And I absolutely, um, uh, the minute I saw it, I went, oh, my God. So you're just going to quantify Mises' regression theorem. You're a stud. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> I, said, I literally said, that's brilliant, right? Because you can now, you now, have a, you now have a metric by which you can say something has monetary character and you're going to assign a number to it, mm-hmm. right? So higher stock to flow ratio equals higher monetary character and lower stock to flow ratio indicates no monetary character. Silver, by the way, has no monetary character. It's stock to flow ratio is like Litecoins. It's almost zero. Okay. So it's in it. And silver has so many industrial uses that it's being outcompeted as a monetary asset, right? Competition for silver is, you know, um, is why it's no longer a monetary asset. Yeah, it's the- got other uses. Well, yeah, the the whole silver meme that's been going around for the last few years has been an interesting one to me. I've got a silver well, bull cousin who texts me every once in a while. He's like, silver's... Like, I, I own silver, and I like silver, and I think that silver, when gold gets really freaking expensive, is going to go ballistic. But only as a function of the silver-to-gold ratio, just because people will be looking for value. They'll be looking for something that's undervalued. Mm-hmm. Okay? And silver can acquire temporarily monetary character during times of crisis at this point. It did in 2011, going from four to $50. Like, dude, I was buying silver at four bucks back in 20, 2003 when I had black hair. Well, <laughs> I had hair. Like, like, the beard was still black. Like, you know, it, you know, I could only turn around and go, see that little bit of gray? That's because I abused myself badly in my 20s. But back in 2003, I was buying silver at $4 an ounce. I was buying hundreds of ounces of silver at $4 an ounce. I'm not dumb. Like, this is ridiculous. It's not going to go to three. And even if it does, I'm buying a three. And then what does it do? It, it, hits a, it hits a ridiculous emotional peak at 50. But it was never sustainable above 30. Right? Where's so, it, where's it now? You said $26? Yeah, about 26 bucks, which has been the, technically speaking, been the marginal line for the, uh, the current trading range since the high, the August 2020 high for both the precious metals. 
when gold hit a new high at just short of 2100 and silver went back to 30. Silver has been trading in a very volatile range between 22 to the downside and 30 to the upside, with the average true price being 26 bucks for a year and a half now, almost two years. When it breaks above 26, I would say on a monthly closing basis, if you're not buying silver, you're an idiot. I don't give a shit what you think about silver. You can think it's the dumbest investment in the planet, but I got news for you. It's going to go to 50 bucks if it monthly closes above 26 bucks at this point. Just, just basic chart analysis and understanding the supply and demand fundamentals will tell you that. You know, the macroeconomic space, especially if gold is going to do the same thing, if gold is breaking to new highs, eventually the silver to gold ratio gets so stretched that people just pile into silver and then there's no supply. And there's no reason to believe that silver is not going to benefit from the ruble being tied to gold either. Remember, just because we're talking about gold and oil and natural gas, hey, you know, the Russians produce a lot of silver too, oh, by the way. But that's not the point. The point is, is that commodities across the board will be, um, will be tied together against the price of gold. And if you look at the price of industrial metals across the board, every one of them has at least doubled in the past year and a half. Aluminum, tin, lead, copper. Well, maybe not copper because copper is a different thing, but almost all of them. They've all nickel. All of them have gone completely ballistic as supply chain crunches occur here. Silver is the only one that has not really moved with the rest of the market. Now, part of that is because of the, you know, the chip manufacturing issues and, and the, the, the slowdown, the, the supply chain crisis within technology, which is where a lot of its end use is. Fine. When we break that bottleneck. And uh, why would you believe that silver is not, you know, not undervalued at twenty six dollars? The problem is, is that like everything else, is a lot, there's a there's a massive amount of of uh, of hedging and uh, rehypothecation within both markets that have just suppressed the price. And Bitcoin, by the way, Bitcoin is dealing with all this now. Let's, Bitcoin doesn't trade like Bitcoin anymore. Yeah, Bitcoin trades like gold. What's going on? It's it's been in this weird consolidation. We're at thirty nine eight oh four here. It feels like there's there's no way it could be this uh, subdued in this range for this amount of time, considering what's so, going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the bull market of 2016, 2017. What broke the bull market in 2017? It wasn't uh, any kind futures, of emotional Yeah, high. CME. Yeah, yeah, it was the, it literally was the to first the day. futures. Yeah, literally to the day, the futures started trading on the COMEX. Cash settled Bitcoin futures started trading on the COMEX. Off-chain. Cash settled futures were trading on the COMEX and Bitcoin hit a peak and was done. Money started, speculative money that used to have to go on chain now could go flow around and, play, and all the big boys could go play around in that space. Okay. Well, today we not only have that, we have on chain settled futures, we have all sorts of stuff going on. We have, you know, we have massive leverage on all these centralized exchanges like Bittrex and, um, and, and, uh, and, I can, they're all like Binance. leaving my head at this point. Binance, thank you. That's the big one. Uh, I could not, for the life of me, get, bring Binance out of my brain. It's really sad. Um, but yeah, when you have all that kind of leverage trading going on, when you have all this, this stuff happening, when Bitcoin looks like your typical offshore Greek Forex market, I got news for you. There's a lot of people just moving stuff around and has, and, and, at the end of the day, on-chain statistics still matter, and so eventually you will push, um, you will push the price down far enough. Eventually, you will dry up the supply of sellers, and then the thing will explode. 
never forget that all bull markets climb a wall of worry. So, you know, I know I should be going long Bitcoin at a moment in time when I hear a whole bunch of people talking about Bitcoin going back to nine grand. Mm -hmm. Same way when people start telling me, oh, gold, it's going to go back to a thousand bucks and blah, blah. I'm like, oh, really? Bye, bye, bye. Like silver gets to 2180 and everybody's like, you could go to 12. I'm like, yeah, putting in an order to Atmex right now. I want, you know, I want some, some pre-1963 dimes. Like it's not tough. Like it's a, a typical contrarian indicator when you get a market that bearish that you have nobody on the bullish side of the trade and everybody's bearish. One buyer forces two, two sellers to start covering. And then all of a sudden the short position is what is the fuel that drives the market higher. Off of, and off of that imbalance. And so that kind of, you know, that's what the, the professional guys like Turk Ferguson and, and, and others try to talk about when they're talking about the, uh, the, in the when they're talking about the, the positioning on the COMEX to try and figure out where the, where the, the leverage is. Is it, is it net long or net short? And then use that as a positioning tool to see where they are. Fine. It's great. I don't, I don't play in that space anymore, but I absolutely respect those guys who do it. I can't do that stuff. Um, that's not my gig. So, but I think it's, I think Bitcoin is being, is now the plaything of wall street, uh, pro, uh, professional prop traders. And, um, you're going to have to start thinking about it in the same way that gold bugs have to accept the fact that, yeah, it'll move when it moves. Get your, it'll, uh, have to, it'll have to be a catalyst to take it, that takes it higher. Get your coins off the exchange. Don't let them rehypothecate. Does that help? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, why it's not, not your keys, not your coins, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Same thing about gold. If it's not in your hand, you don't own it. I've been telling people that for 15 years about gold, uh, about Bitcoin. I've been saying the same thing forever. Like, don't keep your money. Don't ever keep your coins on Coinbase. You, Coinbase is a bank. You're an unsecured creditor of the bank. Yeah. Your deposits on Coinbase, your deposit, you as a depositor to the bank, which is Coinbase, means that you are an unsecured creditor of the bank. You are the last person to get paid if the bank goes bankrupt. The bondholders get paid first. Yeah, everybody is, else's. You are the last person to get paid. You well, we, won't get bailed in. So we need to get to somebody like Michael Saylor and be like, "Yo, dude, get your coins off the exchange." And, uh, if, if he's holding this coin, if he's holding this coins on the exchange, he's an idiot. Like I'm, I, you know, I love Michael Saylor, but he can't be that dumb. Like he can't be that dumb. Like it's not a big deal to if he's move if he's leaving his coins on the exchanges. Um, he's asking for an ass kicking. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know if he's got like it. Like, maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, unless, I would but hope. unless from a fiduciary perspective of the company, he's not allowed to take them to cold storage. I think you that's know, a, if the board has if the board has said you're not allowed to do that. Well, that's a different. Then then I'll take back what I said about being a idiot. I'll say that the board is an idiot. Uh, collectively, are idiots. Yes, and you know, so if that's the case, I think that's a lot of the, uh, a case, the case in a lot of these publicly traded companies that have gotten into Bitcoin and then their mm -hmm. boards prevent them from holding it. Um, from holding it in cold storage. Huh? I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. Well, yeah. it's like they all have ESG compliance boards now that they have to deal with as well. So, you know, it's like, it's all terrible. Yeah. But, you know, they've, they've, this, they've, they've, it's funny, especially tax season, right? Tax season is always that time where it really sharpens your mind about just how much they've destroyed the world. Like when you sit down to think about how much money they actually want from you, you know, having, built a middle-class lifestyle to then say, oh, but you owe us 35% of your income. Yeah. 
And here we're going to go or, give it to all these you know, defense and, contractors. And then it goes to what? Like, I'm going to send all that money. You're, you're sending my money to Ukraine to wander back into Nancy Pelosi's slush fund. Because <laughs> you think that money is actually going to go to buy weapons? No, they're going to give the peasants AK-47s and go say, stand up to the Russian tanks. Yeah, and it's going to go straight into Hunter Biden's bank account, getting paid. Exactly. 10% for the big guy. It's going to go straight to the pharmaceutical companies so they can create things to poison you. <laughs> well, again, so, they, again, like I said, they, they are Malthusians. I mean, honestly, they are Thanos from the Marvel movies. We need to get rid of half the people. There's just too many of you. You think they really think this? I do. I do, I do believe they actually think I, I, I think they've done I, do I think they've done some bad Malthusian linear math that projects out that without oil we can only we can only sustain 1 to 2 billion people. Of course there's plenty of yellow cake in the world to, to like supply about enough nuclear power to, su- to sustain 20 billion people but you know let's not you know let, let's not uh, <laughs> let's not get into that or you know thorium reactors or any of these other you know there's there's so many other ways of harnessing energy outside of oil, but they have focused on this oil cliff, which I don't even think exists because, you know, like technology being what it is, we always seem to find more oil. Yeah. And if you want my honest opinion, I keep, you know, I know for a fact that every year they keep, they keep uncovering more and more oil and guys like the, like, like Chris Martinson over at uh, peak prosperity and that SRS mm-hmm. Rocco report and those guys within that space, they're all like, Oh my God, EROEI is just falling. And you know, they're not replenishing reserves and EROEI being energy uh, returned over energy invested. Right. So the amount of energy it takes to get a barrel of oil out of the ground versus the amount of oil you're getting is, is that ratio is rising. And that's their argument about peak oil. But when you live under fiat currency standard and the cost of extraction, the cost and the profitability of extracting oil out of the ground all goes to the banker who financed the loan to drill the well, then all you're doing is depressing innovation into the space of drilling for more oil and exploring for more oil. The oil industry as a whole, just functionally, has been under a 50-year depressing you know, uh, disincentive to explore for new oil only when it's actually absolutely necessary to replace barrels we, we we pulled out of the ground last year. And not one more than that, because there's no profit in it otherwise. And you, you it's especially clear when you start really diving into what the fiat currency standard actually does, which is it's a purely extractive system where commodities are priced literally at an erg of energy above the cost of extraction and everything else, the profit that they should get as a first order good, which isn't going to be high in the first place because it's a first order good. It's crude oil. So first order good should have very low profit mm-hmm. because arbitrary, because you're only just, because you know, for all intents and purposes, crude oil is crude oil, even though that's not true. So light sweets different from heavy sour, which is different. This, but in general, you know, Light sweet, maybe 5% may have an IRR of 5% and heavy sour is only 3%. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's in a very small range. But the profit margins on naphthalene, gasoline, and everything else is going to be 8 to 10%. And then, you know, the things you build, then the drugs you build with the naphthalene, you know, then the other stuff you build with those precursors should have higher rates of return because that's the, that's the value-added chain. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. So 
the when you really stop to think about what the fine, the, the debt-based fiat system does, it ensures that all the profit from resource extraction goes to the very people who issued the money in the first place at zero cost to themselves. Then they turn around and invest in all the higher level technologies built on that on that surf model of, of uh, commodity extraction and then use that to suppress everybody else's uh, uh, creativity in the marketplace, i.e. Twitter, Facebook, Apple, blah, 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 the, 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 uh, the biotech companies, the drug companies, yada, 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 like the media companies. That they're, that's where they're all invested. Yeah. It's they pretty, all own those boards. It's pretty evil. Yeah. Uh, it's very evil at the end of the day. It's, it's incredibly evil. It's like, and it's, it's good work if you can get it, I guess, but it's completely evil. Yeah. And, this, and Bitcoin fixes all of this. Gold fixes all of this. And, you know, like, and that's what has to eventually, and that will change. Well, it's happening. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's happening right in front of our the, eyes. And they don't have any way to stop it other than to, other than to like use laws to, and, and to put people in the, and put people in jail and tax them, tax all their profits away. And I'm like, that's nice. Like, like the way the IRS, the IRS doesn't even understand its own rules for crypto reporting. Why do you say that? Uh, I, I, it's because they're because they're constantly like not, they, they're constantly like, like they 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 obviously say you owe all of it, right? Like they, but they also believe that you should pay them a per, you should pay them taxes on any time somebody gives you a gift, or you you know exchange you know lawn lawn cutting service for you know dinner. Like they expect you to report that income. Like, does anybody report that income? Do they have control over that income? Like, they don't even like really. When you stop to think about what they have legal, statutory, like, uh, uh, and no one's challenged this yet, and someone will uh, purview over. It's dollar-based transactions and nothing else. Like, really, make the argument that crypto to crypto transactions are actually a taxable event. It's, it's a very spurious argument. Interesting. Somebody take that to oh, court. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it, they just they just define things however they want in order to try and force you to, you know, oh well, they're stocks, so you got to pay you got to pay capital gains on them. But they're not stocks. Are they currencies? Are they, I mean, especially given that now El Salvador has it as legal tender. How are you going to make the argument that Bitcoin is a is a commodity or, um, yeah, as a commodity or? Or you know, or worse, a security like Ethereum's a security when someone else is using it as legal tender. And there, so believe, now you're. And there's now lang- you're, isn't there language in like international trade deals too, where it's like if one country yeah. recognizes that legal tender, you have to as well. Right, if, and yes, no, you're absolutely right. And so when you really stop to think about it, that was the big deal for El, with El Salvador's announcement, right? Which is of course why they why the IMF is and the U.S. have been trying to you know break that as much as they possibly can. Um, and they're trying and they're pressuring other countries who are thinking about it from actually doing it. Right. So God knows how many Panamanian and uh, uh, Panamanian uh, uh, politicians have had their children, you know, lives threatened. Right. Because by these people, because this is the way they operate. Let's not kid ourselves. So, but under that circumstance, like under those rules, if Bitcoin is legal tender, Screw you. Oh, it's money. You can't tax money. It's like, well, am I supposed to make money? Am I supposed to pay capital tank, capital gains tax on the euros that I hold? Right. 
It's it's going to get That's interesting. The argument they're making. I know. I, I, I agree with you 100%. They're going to try their hardest. Uh, again, like I said, though, they're sloppy. They're dumb. Their hubris is at an all-time high, and it's going to be their downfall. Uh, and they're, on top Great. of that, they're extremely complacent. And like you said, Bitcoin, like I am so pumped is being in the mining space, specifically in oil and gas. Like Oil and gas companies are starting to get it. And what's going to happen yes. is you're going to have an oil and gas company, especially with natural gas and crude trading where they are, just realize, oh shit, like I'll just sell my oil and gas for cash and then I'll roll that into a mining operation which I'll leverage our, our waste and stranded energy on. Uh, yep. And then we'll just hold the Bitcoin and we'll hold that through a monetization event where we can break free from... Yep. The bankers that you were describing who are are yep. taking and all then the they, and you can use that as collateral to go drill new wells and you know you can use yeah. the bitcoin as collateral for a loan to go drill new wells like mm. um i have a uh i have a friend in the nuclear industry and the same thing's happening all across the nuclear space in what um, way uh they're doing the same thing they're they're cutting they're cutting uh, co-location mining deals with excess with uh with energy off the nuclear reactors because you know nuclear reactors can only be spun up and tuned down by a certain amount, they have to put out a, a kind of a constant load, plus yes. or minus a few percent. So when load is low, they have to send that energy to the ground. Well, now they can send it into a Bitcoin. Now they can just send it into a Bitcoin mining rig. Yeah. You know, during during evening hours when they can when they, you know, they can pull back production by five or ten percent, but when you know demand drops like forty percent, then that that goes to the ground. People, you know, sail. I've seen Sailor make this argument, and so many people just don't get it. The only it, the only industry that is more wasteful than the energy production than the electricity sorry electricity production industry for wasting their 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 product is um, fashion. Like most, you know, something like thirty to thirty five percent of all clothes that are produced wind up as you know pillow stuffings and you know upholstery <laughs> stuffings and couches and whatnot. They don't because the clothes aren't sold, so then they get cut up and you know recycled into 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 upholstery or other things. Same thing in the in, in in electricity generation. We send thirty percent of it to ground, yeah, because the grid has to be because these monolithic, massive monolithic grids have to be pressurized all the time. Okay, it's just like you know, it's just like natural gas pipes. They have to be pressurized. All these people understand like the, the way these these systems work. You can't just turn them off. So in order to to supply two hundred and forty volts to your house, you know, one hundred and two hundred amps at two at two forty to your house, you know, they have to push that all the time, whether you're pulling it or not. Exactly. And then whatever isn't goes to ground. And so if we can capture even a part of that and then you do the math, I think the Bitcoin, the whole Bitcoin network uses, I think, somewhere between a quarter and a third of a percent of that 30 percent we send to ground. So even, no matter how inefficient you think proof of work is. And Bitcoins is the maybe the most inefficient energy inefficient version of proof of work. I'm not saying that it is, but I, I haven't done the math on other on other systems. But just let's assume for argument's sake that it is. Let's assume that Bitcoin I mean, is the I think you, you know, can I think you could coal. you can point to data. Right. Like, it's securing you could I just don't know securing the, data the most the it's securing so like it's securing the most money, eight hundred and eighty billion or well, whatever. Well I mean it is I, I actually mean like on a on a on a per that dollar value, normalized dollar value of the blockchain or whatever. I don't you know normalize the value of the blockchain or the or the cost of Difficulty, but it should be simply because the difficulty to mine it is so unbelievably high. Mm -hmm. Because right, and so you know, Monero can't compete. Even though if Monero was trading at this with the same hash rate, it was secured with the same hash rate. Bitcoin is Monero would be five times, I think, five times as bad as Bitcoin, or maybe even maybe even higher than that, because it's in a very inefficient proof of work blockchain because of the extraneous 
yeah. information has to be encoded in order to do the, the, the ring signature privacy thing, right? But even so, even Monero, which would you can consider that coal to Bitcoin's, I don't know, oil, right? As a, you know, like say it's coal versus oil in terms of dirty. Okay, great. So what? It's still living off of waste energy that we've already wasted. You know, People it's don't understand this. Throw it into the ground. This is why. This is why it's so hilarious, and this is it's, it is retarded. And it's like people <laughs> in the public markets trying to like. I'm a, like, so this is why I joined the board of a publicly traded company. This is why I get mm-hmm. in a fight with all the other miners. Not all the other miners. There's some base mm-hmm. miners out there agree with me, but a lot of miners are like, "Oh, we need to prove that we're clean. We're clean. We're clean." I'm like, "No, we don't. Don't apologize don't. to these people. They they do not care about whether or not you're clean. Number one." No. They want to control you. Uh, yes. And number two, do not apologize for anything. You're doing nothing wrong. Like, yeah, you're not doing anything wrong. You're using your you're using your assets in the way that you think is the best way to use them. To, to, to use them. Who the hell are they to tell you otherwise? Yeah. Like it's it's dumb. And it but it's it tells you it's such a weak argument that has been blasted out over and over and over again. And I've Marty, I've done this like with with people, both public, both publicly, I've shamed them over this in previous interviews, and then just like you know, dumb people in my in my circle of friends and family, and they've tried that argument, and I'm like, you do realize that Bitcoin uses one quarter of one percent of all the electricity we send to ground, right? This is energy we produce, whether we did or we it's going to happen, whether Bitcoin existed or not, right? That that energy was going to ground, we were not capturing this value. That Bitcoin is nothing but a net good. <laughs> It's that nothing but a net good, period. It's a way to store the work that we as humans already did that we're wasting because we because our government refused to get out of the business of electricity generation and allow us to have localized interconnected grids where maybe then we let's talk about that. If you hate the fact that 30 percent of the electricity we generate goes to the ground. Hey, maybe we should talk about like smaller interconnected smart grids built on PEM fuel cells that that are large enough to handle the to power a neighborhood run on natural gas which is very possible and it's and the technology is out there and it would be easy but no we can't do that because the county has to provide the you know in the united states the county has to provide it, or this guy's got the fran- this company's got the franchise monopoly over this area of florida or this area of the state or whatever oh because we have old dumb freaking laws put in place by tyrannical freaking governments that are getting in the way of of of, uh, of improving the efficiency and gener- of electricity generation for what reason? Oh, I think it was we meant, just mentioned it. Control, because why do they want control over that? Because that way, if you don't pay your uh, your taxes on your property, they'll shut your power off. You can't get a building permit to build a house on the land that you bought that you're paying taxes on. If you have, you know. If you if you don't if you don't get a building permit from the government, you can't get a you can't get an electricity drop to your house. I know this. I built my own house. I know what the process is. The, the process is so ridiculous. And I did it in a county in Florida that has almost no rules whatsoever. At the yeah. time. I mean, we've had developers on Kelly shout out Kelly Land and in the past we went over just like the disgusting nature of zoning codes and oh yeah and you force like a like a cookie cutter shitty model of a house onto the public and yeah, yeah it's another fiat thing like they're only built to last 30 years the, the length right. of the mortgage and then you have to tear them down and rebuild them and right because, imagine you know, god god's god forbid you actually pay you know actually pass down generational wealth to your children you're yeah. not allowed to do that because that would be because again that gets back to my original statement they're communists 
Yeah, and you tell people this, and they they don't. I, I've been saying I've been saying ESG is a communist movement for absolutely yes. many years. At first, mm-hmm. I was derided, told I was paranoid, told I was crazy. But again, now the narrative shifting. I think, like, are you optimistic that we can get these tyrannical idiots out of our way? Um, I think it's going to happen whether we like it or not. The question is whether or not we're going to have to go through a world war to get it. I really hope we don't. Yeah, you and me both. Like, that would be nice. My daughter's turning 16 tomorrow. It would be nice. I'm going to take her out to dinner. She's going to get her braces off. And, you know, the poor thing is, you know, living under the sword of Damocles. And, And, you know, and it's, and I apologize to her every day. I'm like, I'm sorry, hon. I'm sorry I brought you into this world, but I could not. Because, you know, it's just the way it is. I literally have been apologizing to her, Marty, since like 20, like five minutes after she was born. <laughs> we had her at home and my wife and my wife's placenta started. And my wife's uh, uh, having a problem passing the placenta. So she had to, they had to ha- pass the kid to me while they, while they, her and her midwives dealt with her. So I'm sitting there with the kid and she's like three minutes old, learning how to breathe and learning how to regulate her heartbeat. And I'm like, oh, you're beautiful and you're gorgeous and everything else. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is I'm all so sorry this is all so but, fucked yeah it's all so fucked and yeah by the time you're you're old enough to understand it all it's, you're gonna be like well at least i know my daughter's base so that's all that matters i'm yeah. you know i'm good to go maybe that's how we fix it. we just raise base children um yes that's, that's part of it yes and so how do you, how do we avoid world war three if we can um we hope i'll be honest with you we hope that putin's gambit to tie the ruble to gold and put the world back on a commodity-based standard accelerates the collapse of the fiat currency system, which is the source of all their power. The ability for them to generate new insane weapons, to pay the, the soldiers, to pay the massive infrastructures and the skyscrapers and, the, and everybody's salaries and everything else, it all stems from that. Now, at the same time, Davos really does want to collapse the global economy in order to build it back better with even more funny money called MMT, central bank digital currencies afterwards. So I don't know. But, you know, wars end when the checks bounce, when the soldiers' checks bounce. Well, again, that's and, that's what was know, very interesting about the front running yesterday by Pac. Like, because hyperinflation is two parts, right? Obviously, you have the, the expansion of the number of monetary units in the system, right. and then there's the social aspect of it. When people lose yes. confidence... Uh, that's when that's when the hyperinflation happens the hyperinflation you know I, I this is i guess martin armstrong i both love and hate for this because he he refuses to admit that the hyperinflation is there the dollars are all sitting offshore being 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 sat on like and they're being hedged off and all this stuff and they exist out there but what happened when the co- when the confidence collapses oh that's when it happens so the quantity theory of money is not wrong it's just not usable in a practical context Mm-hmm. context which is and you can but the quantity theory of money is correct you increase the money supply you're going you are increasing the general price level there's no way around that what matters ultimately is and you know it's funny that you know armstrong says all these things about the quantity theory of money and then real and then for conveniently forgets that mises made the same arguments that he did about the quantity theory of money which is that it ignores the demand side of the equation back in 1923 like <laughs> in the theory of money and credit he did this right like so we Austrians are not unhip to this idea that there's limitations to the quantity theory of money. I just, oh, God, it bothers me when people make incomplete arguments that they should know better, right? In order to, it just bothers me. So the, um, the inflation is latent. It's there. It's waiting. 
It doesn't, it doesn't know what to do. It's the systems like this are metastable. And I like, I'm a chemist originally. I don't know if you know this about me. I did not know that. Okay. So I have 25, I have a degree in chemistry and I have a background in English as well. I have a minor in English. Um, uh, but it's 25 years as a bench and resource research chemist. Okay. I've, I've forgotten more about data quality than most people ever learn. And so in chemistry, right, there are two parts to every chemical reaction, right? You've got a, you've got a, you've got a molecule over here and you've got a molecule over here and they want to, and you know, the Gibbs free energy equation says this is a spontaneous reaction and it should, and they should make a new compound. But what the Gibbs free energy equation doesn't tell you is that in order to make the two molecules fit together, right? To do this, you got to rotate one, you got to turn, you got to turn one, you got to do this, you got to, you got to do all this stuff. So this, this enthalpy, which is the lower heat of the system of the new compound, but then there's also entropy, which is the disorganization of the system. In order to do this, to get them to move away from where they currently are to where they need to go, you got to put energy into the system. So it's what we call the transition energy, mm -hmm. right? So think about where we are today, right? We're in the state where the system wants to change into a new state. But to get there, it looks like it's not changing, but it's, it's gradually right. It's gradually shifting into a new state until it eventually then boom locks into place. In chemistry and entropy-driven reactions like the like that, they are first very very slow to start, and then accelerate in rate over time. Because what happens is, think of it this way: you start at a general energy level of this, but you've got to go to here before you can finish here. So this is where we are today with the two compounds separate. And then we got to raise the general, we got to climb this energy transition cliff, right? To get over that, to get the reorganization to happen. And then once that happens, then the entire energy of the new molecule is down here. And then excess heat is vented. That excess heat raises the background level. And so now the transition levels to the next, to, for the next molecule to react is lower. And then lower, and then eventually it becomes a runaway train where the temperature of the system or the background energy of the system rises to the point where uh, the transition energy level is already met, and it, everything just happens on mass. So you can speed that reaction up by raising the temperature, or but just assuming ceteris, ceteris paribus that everything is just a steady state. Eventually, it'll happen anyway, and then. It's the Hemingway quote. How did you go broke? Slowly and then all at once. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of thing, but systems need that. And I think that the entropy argument about reorganization is a very important one. We're in the process now of reorganizing from one monetary system to another. Okay. And then we're going to probably reorganize again into another monetary system, which all the Bitcoiners in the audience will love, which is that, you know, we're going to go to a next monetary system, which is going to be kind of a hybrid gold backed nation state currency gold backed system that will last for a certain amount of time, but it's going to be existing in the context of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, which are a superior form of money than gold for a digital economy, period, under every, in every way imaginable that you can think of. Eventually, that's going to win out anyway, and they're, and they're all going to have to get on board. My, my, some of my patrons ask me all the time, like, Tom, when do you think the Federal Reserve adds Bitcoin to its balance sheet? And I'm like, sooner than you think. Do you think they will? At some point they will. They'll be forced to. That's a nail in their coffin, though. 
It's like, all right, we lost. Well, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, yeah, in the long run, maybe. But again, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to bow to reality at some point, you know. Yeah. And again, these will be. This is part of the transition state. This is part of the transition process. Well, I think that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the transition. Like, I think we're getting to that suddenly part. I think we're at the beginning of the suddenly. Like, if you have Saki coming out and like preparing people for a high inflation print, you have Shanghai shut down. It's only going to exacerbate the. Um, the inflation problem, the bottlenecks in the supply chain. You have wheat being shut off from most of the world. Lebanon just got a wheat um, delivery that was completely bunk and they don't have any money to buy new more wheat. Right. You have bad wheat uh, season here in the U.S. I believe that you're going to have no, a bad wheat season in, in Ukraine. They don't have any diesel fuel to run the tractors. Even they're on the they're on the the, the seed the, the seed machines. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be bad. Yeah, you're going to Russians blew it all up. Yeah, and you're gonna. And, have a, did, and I'll be honest with you, they did it on purpose. I'm like, yeah, hey, you got to buy the wheat from us. Oh, you want to start a war with us? Fine, we just we just killed the breadbasket of the world. Yeah, piss off. And mm. oh, it's gonna. And it was a late. And there's and look, and the weather's getting screwy. Like you know, we're also coming into this. We're also coming into this 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 very ugly period of time where, and this is part of the reason why I'm still a gold bug. By the way, like I mean, I I, I love Bitcoin. Get me wrong, but I I'm I'm not smart enough. As smart as I am, I'm not smart enough to know to be to be smarter than the market. We're either we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna need gold for a while. We may need gold as a transitional thing if if all goes well, and then we'll transition to Bitcoin. That'd be great too, you know. But then again, you know, by the end of the decade, we're looking at a potential. You know, we're looking at a on a one to you know every day roll the dice that there's not a Carrington event that occurs because the sun burped because the you know global magnetic field is so freaking low because of the pole shift that's undergoing right now. The Dive into that. Shift. What's going on there? Oh, dude, this is, this is big. This is the biggest tail risk for Bitcoin that I can come up with. Is a okay. solar flare or? Yeah. 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 So is, is, is we're living in an age and I, where, and this is, I'm not, this is not conspiracy theory. This is data. Right. Um, and there are plenty of guys out there on the internet including at this point now NASA actually you know discussing this that the that the earth's magnetic field is down about 25 or 26% from its peak which about which occurred you know which happened about a little over a century ago so the Carrington event uh, Carrington event of 1859 actually occurred during you know a period where the magnetic field was at its strongest but the only electronic devices at the time were the telegraph wires Mm -hmm. That was a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection so large that it melted all the telegraph wires. Okay. Because, you know, when the sun burps, it does bombard the atmosphere with a whole lot of highly charged particles that the ionosphere and the charged nature of, I mean, this, everything is a charged system and everything's on a magnetic field. And blah, 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 blah. like that gets transmitted down through the atmosphere and into the ground. Now, if the magnetic field is weakened, then that's the thing that keeps us from, that's the thing that protects us from the solar wind. If we, the Earth didn't have a magnetic field, you and I wouldn't be here talking because Earth would be lifeless. Earth would look like Mars. Mm -hmm. The saddest story in all, the in all of the solar system is that Mars lost its magnetic field at okay. some point in the past. Don't know how. We haven't uncovered this yet. But there was life on Mars. There was an atmosphere on Mars. And then it lost its magnetic shield. And then it all got stripped away. So the idea of terraforming Mars is 
cute and all until we figure out how to create an artificial magnetic field for it to be able to hold the atmosphere and to protect it from the solar wind. Okay. So the Earth's magnetic field weakening significantly and continuing to weaken at about 1% a year. Okay. And it's going to do so until the poles finally shift. And the poles right now are rapidly moving. I think the North Pole is somewhere over Siberia. Mm -hmm. And it's moving at significant, it's moving significantly every year. I don't remember the actual numbers, but miles every year. Um, I think it was 88 miles in 2021, 20, something like that. So something enormous. How far does it um, have to go? 3,000? It's, it's going to go. And the, the, if, if the archaeological records of this are correct, it's going to go until they reach the, they, re, they reach um, the, uh, the area around the Bermuda Triangle and um, the, 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 the opposite side on the, uh, on the opposite side of the world from there. It's going to wind up, the poles are going to do this. And then they're going to flip. Then and then they're going to go right back. It's it's going to do, the 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 north and south pole are going to do. They're going to wander this way, and then they're going to flip, right? And so they're going to move to the equator, and then they're going to flip. Because what, what happens is it like um, does that fuck up life on the surface, or is it just purely? Yeah, a lot of things happen when that happens. There's a lot of things that could that could potentially go wrong. But for us in the near term, the most the most the thing you should worry about most is a Carrington style event as the earth as the sun goes through its normal natural 11 year solar cycle and sunspots are a are uh per, are perturbations in the uh, magnetic dynamos of the uh, of the sun and uh they are you know opposite poles in you know anomalies within the magnetic dynamos of the sun there are three of them and uh you know any one of them will create a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection or something like that that could hit the earth and in a weakened magnetic field, the magnetic field will not be able to shunt it off. Think of it like, you know, Green Lantern and, you know, putting up a, a shield and someone's more powerful than him and the shield breaks. Mm -hmm. And then he gets blown back. If his will is strong enough, he can hold through it, right? Green Lantern is a, a, kind of a really good metaphor for this, actually. Um, being a comic geek, I can't help myself. So that happens. That could easily wipe out the grid. Yeah, overnight. Okay. Let's, in an let's, let's just, I mean, we're back to the 19th century yeah. and all electronic devices would then die. And the Bitcoin, you know, thing and the, the blockchain being on a satellite in space doesn't matter because the satellite will get fried. And, 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 and so, but it doesn't matter at that point. We'll need gold, we'll need silver, we'll need bullets, we'll need food, we'll need all of those things, and then we'll rebuild society. But we know how to do Bitcoin again. So rebuilding off of something like that would be pretty quick because it won't take us. I mean, it's not like we don't have the knowledge. It's not like we don't have the textbooks and the libraries and everything for all the accumulated knowledge, all written, hopefully all written down to get back to, you know, we're not going to be starting from scratch again. We don't have to rebuild, you know, the we don't have to rebuild the 20th century from scratch or the 21st yeah. century from scratch. We'll be rebuilding it from, from a, a, a state of knowledge. So just to be a matter of, you know, capital handling to get it built. Yeah. God, so, that shit's scary. It is scary. It's why you should have some gold. I've got, some, serious. I've got some on my finger. Good. So I, I, you know, and look, gold is undervalued. Even if I'm wrong about, even if that doesn't happen, let's please hope that that does not happen. Um, the powers that be still use gold as their reserve, as their proxy for reserves. Mm -hmm. And they're not changing that system. They're not changing that anytime soon. So 
If you know that that system is going to, if their system is going to fail, they have one of two options. They can either allow the price of gold to stay where it is and collapse the paper gold system completely, thereby cutting asset prices by somewhere between 90 and 95%, at which price your gold rises in, in purchasing power by 90 to 95%. Or they can allow the price of gold to rise and keep asset prices the same, at which point your gold rises in purchasing power by 90 to 95%, you know, or, or orders of magnitude. It winds up being the same. It's, it's the same thing. As, as Ron Paul would put it, um, you know, hyperinflation and hyperdeflation are two signs of the same coin. They are. It doesn't really matter. It's, a, it's all about preserving purchasing power, which is all that matters with, when it comes to Bitcoin. I don't care about the dollar price of Bitcoin, ultimately. I actually more care about the dollar price of Bitcoin as it relates to how much energy it can get me, how many real goods in the real world it can get me. And um, that's why they're trying to hold the price in place and trying to break the psychology of the, bear, uh, of the bull market. But at the same time, all I see is Wall Street desperately trying to get into crypto and trying to get into Bitcoin. They're, like crowd, they're crowding into it. Oh, uh, uh, Bitcoin's terrible. We hate it. And they're all buying on the backside. You think Jamie Dimon doesn't own Bitcoin? If you, do, if you, if you don't, if you don't think that big Jamie Dimon owns Bitcoin, um, then I have some lovely bridge front property in Brooklyn I want to sell you. <laughs> they, uh, they're definitely getting it. I mean, they, they have to if they're smart. They are smart people at the end of the day. They may be evil, some of them. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's very clear they can see the writing on the wall the same way we can. They're not dumb. Yeah. Like, you know, like when, when we're all reading price charts and giving pr perspectives on where we think this stock will go or that stock will go or what the dollar is going to do or what gold is going to do. You don't think they can. Like, if I can read the chart, they can read the chart. And they have control of the chart. So, like, you know, it's not that tough. You know, what you have to wind up bracketing for is where do you think they are relative to that chart? And where do you think they are, you know, or when do you, do you think they're going to let the price rise so that they can make the ma maximal profit? And that's what they're doing to Bitcoin right now. Right now, they're just, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm watching sentiment get crushed on the day. Um, why is this happening? We're going breaking out. Inflation's high. It's, it's, it's the same wine that I heard last year from all the gold bucks. Mm -hmm. negative negative real rates and then nah, 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 like that well so what they control the price yeah Just we, wait i mean hopefully we can bring back. Catalyst. and the and the state change for this one the catalyst for this was pegging the the ruble to gold yeah well that's the, that's the big one and that's that, the that's the one that was always gonna that was always gonna change the system does this get this do we eventually get to like the austrian dream of true price signal in the market it's not manipulated um, not by not my lifetime. No, not my lifetime. Nah. That's okay. But we'll get closer to it. Like everything is a everything is a continuum, Marty. This is the way I like to look at it. Right, five hundred years ago, we still had people like sacrificing their children to the sun gods in various parts of the of the world. We don't do that anymore. That's a win, right? Like okay, so now we're trying to oh, now we're the, trying to get the, people to some, some of the Davos class might do that. Well, like, yeah, like, well yeah, sacrificing babies to drink the adrenochrome and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly kidding about that stuff. They're going to Moloch. Um, yeah. Well I, well, I think actually what we have today is that these people have convinced people to sacrifice themselves on the altar of the sun god, right? Which is even, which is far worse. It just means that we're living through a dark age. But, you know, nothing goes up. No market goes up in a straight line. All markets are kind of cyclic. Well, guess what? Human liberty goes through is cyclic too on a timeline. And it looks like the stock market. It's a random walk upwards and 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 cyclic. And I think we're moving up that we're moving up into the left on that chart through time. But 
right now we're in a nadir. And then that too will turn and then we'll start to rise again. And um, it is what it is. And we'll just move back and forth, but we're moving up that curve into a state of reemergence of enlightenment, I think, at some point in the future. The best thing that could happen, I think, is a return to some kind of real honest to God spirituality within the anarcho crypto set. So they, we, 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 that we're not just, you know, I, I just think that that's where we need to be. You know, it's not just celebrating the fact that we have children, but understanding what the real purpose of actual you know, living in this world is and where, where our moral center is. And I think that that, that, but that was the thing that when this kind of capped this off, going back to what I said originally, when I was at Bitcoin 2021 last year, and I, the, despite all the glitz and the money and all the, all the stuff that I saw all the way around there, I really saw a bunch of hardcore narco phone freaks desperately trying to hold on to that and resolute that um, Bitcoin is here to break these bastards. Yeah. And nothing else. And I saw that at, I saw that at every turn and everybody I talked to. And that I, I walked away from Bitcoin 2021 going, everything's fine. Kids are all right. <laughs> Kids are all right. No, I do want to break these people. We do want to break these people. I'll speak Absolutely. for myself. I want to fucking destroy these people. Of course. So um, what is I an echo in the background here, but what is an enlightened state to you? I think at the end of the day, what is, um, why do we have children? Why are we here? We're we here to wait. You know, we're, well, we're here for the beer, right? Um, to quote Rush. Um, why are we here? Because we're here. Um, the, 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 we're dealing with the, the meaning crisis of the last 300, 400 years, right? Like we've lost our connection to the, I, I don't, I don't like talking in terms of God because I'm not a particularly, um, I'm not that, not of that bent, but I am but I do believe that there's, and I do understand that there's something about the way the universe works that I don't understand and I don't presume to understand and I'm willing to submit to the will of that, whatever that happens to be. I'm just not willing to personify it, right? Um, you want to call that God? You call that God? That's fine. I don't really care. What's important is that we as people have a purpose in this life, which is ultimately to, to do our very best to procreate the species and to um, pass on what we've learned and make and to minimize as suffering as much as possible. It's not all absurd. Life is not this absurd game of, well, you know, we, we live, we die, and then we, you know, and we're food for arms. I just don't buy that. Um, so fundamentally, you know, we got to where we are today because we had enough faith in ourselves to want to build something that we could pass on to our children to make their lives a little easier. Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's, that's how we alleviate human suffering because the universe is hostile to our presence. The universe is trying to kill us. Period. Period. You have to realize that the universe doesn't care that you're here and will kill you. We live in, you know, talk about, you know, the sun and the burp and, you know, all that stuff. Like space is a really hostile place. And, you know, Florida is a really hostile place. Like, you know, dude, like, Without air conditioning, Florida is unlivable. And, you know, mosquitoes the size of Volkswagens and, you know, getting exsanguinated and, you know, every mold imaginable and, you know, cro and, you know, alligator, not that alligators are really a threat, but just in general, like it's the, there's so much life competing for against you. It's not, it's not the world of plenty. It's literally a, a land, of, you know, trying to kill you. 
there's a great, I remember seeing a great cartoon during, I think it was during the 2016 campaign, like all the things in Florida that can kill you, like broken down by the like highest cause of death. Like, you know, it, it was a cartoon. So it was funny, you know, alligators, this, you know, Republicans, blah, 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 all the breaking up the state and being a 35, I've lived in Florida now, like 35 years or so. Like, I was just laughing my ass off going, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. You know, and, and it's just really funny. Um, it's a really hostile place. And you, you take away air conditioning and forget it. I don't want to live here. Because this place is brutal between the heat and the, you know, everything molding and going bad and like everything rots. And it's like, dude, like, how do you preserve food in Florida? There's no natural salt mines. There's no nothing. Like, yeah. I want electricity. Well, it's, so, you're, you're highlighting. It's so funny. We've gotten to a stage where human humans are, I mean, we have this self-loathing. Not uh, me and you, but a lot of humans have this self-loathing where we're all we're bad. We need to. Stop doing these things. What we have done is incredible. I'm speaking to you through the internet. Yeah, right absolutely, now. absolutely. But every I, I, the I used to be very nihilistic about this. Though I, I grew up thinking that it was all just you know very cynical, kind of typical Gen Xer, kind of like you know that that quintessential John Cusack movie uh, you know, protagonist from any movie he made in between like 1985 and like the guy from like Gross Point Blank, right? Mm-hmm. Like that guy, right? You know pure iconoclast, all this kind of sucks. And then once I realized why I was so angry at everything, because I realized I was a libertarian and that's why I hated politics. I'm like, oh, that's what's wrong with me. I'm a libertarian. Okay, I got it. And then it was this slow dawning. And I, I literally sat there one day and I and just going through all the basics of Austrian economics and read some article in Blue Rockwell one morning. And I just went, oh, I get it. People are fucking amazing. Because they produce all of this in spite of all of these things that have been these barriers and obstacles that have been placed in front of them. They're not succumbing to them. They're not sheep. They're the exact opposite of that. That's why I get very angry when, pe- angry when people use the, the term sheeple. I absolutely despise it because it's so degrading to very people that you're trying to convince of what it is that you're the what you're seeing. Like don't I'm, don't don't degrade those people. I'm guilty of using that word. I I, I hate that word. Because it really is a, I mean, but hey, we've all done it. Like it's, it's just so, hey, by the way, don't do it anymore. Well, um, wake up sheeple is just like a great little. Yeah, I just think this, this, just how about, how about understand why they're where they are, have a little empathy and then try and figure out the best way to talk to them to get them out of it. Because, you know, by calling them sheeple is you're, the, the one thing you're never going to do is get them to convince you otherwise. Yeah. Like the, the goal is, the goal is, is, is understanding and empathy. And that's how we get out of this. That's how we beat these people. And that's really our purpose at the end of the day is to expand human empathy. Um, Agreed there. So, so I think you're doing a great job of, of doing that. And I, I do try. And I think, I think we're going to win. And again, it, goes, it comes back to the narrative battle, like conversations like this, and then not only creating empathy amongst our fellow common man, but highlighting how... Like, Unempathetic, the the technocratic elite are, and how hypocritical yeah. they are. They well, and they're they they're soulless. They have no purpose. They don't respect any higher authority. They believe that they're better than nature and that they're better than we are. They these are people without boundaries. These are children that have never been given any boundary conditions or any control over their over their over their their um over their actions, and so. You know, what they want is what they can get. And uh, you're an idiot if you fall for it. So, hey, we're going to, you know, 
we're going to keep making you fall for it and then prove to ourselves that we're better than you are and that we have are entitled to rule you because you're just dumb tax cattle. You're just a useless eater. Useless eater. And then now they're just saying that out loud. And this is the part that should be, I mean, this is the part that should infuriate everybody. I mean, and the worst part about it is that, you know, modern progressives, for lack of a better term, and not all progressive, but that, that, that I don't know even what to call these people. Like they become the, uh, the disciples of the, the high priests of, uh, of Davos style nihilism to say, yeah, maybe I'm a useless eater. Maybe if the world would be a better place if it wasn't for me. But no, I, I want to live because I'm the good person. We just need to kill all the deplorables. We need to kill all the Trump tards. We need to kill all the Q tards or the Russia bots or whatever. I'm like, um, no. You stop having children. We're all the ones with the guns. So. <laughs> yeah, thank God for the and second know how to use them. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah there, were, there was um, in Austin, Texas, and there was a stop having children campaign here during South by Southwest. And it's like, ah. Yeah, it could be Darwinism like, playing out too. It could be good. It's like, all right, I, you, you stop I, having. Like, I think, I think veganism is a self-correcting problem. I hate. I, I, I would never in a million years ever, you know, subscribe to veganism. But I, I, I actually encourage people I don't like to become vegans, so that they don't breed, <laughs> because it's bad for them, and they'll kill them, and then they'll die early, or they maybe they'll maybe they'll maybe they'll die before breeding age. I don't know. We'll see. Like veganism is just bad. It's a bad. It's a bad way to eat. Bad like, for your teeth. Carnivores. Bad for your health. Bad for everything. Which yeah. is this is bad for everything. We're carnivores. We need large amounts of you know energy dense food because we have a very short digestive tract. It's that simple. <laughs> like we're not cows. We don't have four stomachs to break down cellulose. But speaking of the cows, they're they're just farting all the time and they're yeah contributing to global warming. No, they're not. They're they're not because CO two isn't continue. continue isn't uh, contributing to global warming. Like, I know. I'm actually a dumb argument. I'm having Tom Nelson on next week. I'm very excited to talk to him. Oh, cool. About uh, this, but it, it, yeah, it's and actually, I'm I'm becoming more and more, uh, just emboldened and confident, and just like not being afraid of the mob when it comes to like global warming. I mean, like I I don't believe that. I've never believed it. I, believe I did the I I did the I I went through the data. I went through the temperature data sets like 15 years ago. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, I, the, you know, I, I come from a background when I, when I worked in environmental testing where all the data that I produced, I had to be able to back up at a court of law, right? Mm -hmm. All right, my, my boss would have to go, could possibly be subpoenaed by a government agency to prove the fact, to prove the quality of our data to, as stated to the, the quality that we, that we certified. Meaning you had to produce data that was, eat, that was clean enough for your dog to eat off of at the very, you know, for you to eat off the temperature data sets um, for global warming that, you know, man's hockey stick and all the rest of it that's built on. I wouldn't feed to my dogs. <laughs> how bad, how bad is it? They're Where terrible. They're, they're terrible. They, they have, they put, they just blithely pull out outliers left and right, you know, violating all of Talib's black swan, you know, methodology because it doesn't fit the narrative. It's a purely, it's a purely political thing. I, I, I mean, this is 15 years ago when I went through the data, but the data, the data sets raw and clean are, you know, there's just no, there's no there there. I hate to quote Gertrude Stein because I can't stand her, but um, she's right. There's no there there. There's nothing. It's noise. It's literally, they have 
cherry pick data to create statistical noise, uh, add a statistical noise in order to create a, a thing and to create a correlation where there is no correlation. Yeah. And now people are trying to attack big, the Bitcoin mining industry with this, this climate hysteria. And I, yeah. I will not stand for it. I will. No, I, it's just, yeah, it's I will, just pure for, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I will mine with all the natural gas that I can. I'll drill wells to mine Bitcoin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go, you go thou forth and be, and, and uh, be fruitful and multiply. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I absolutely, it's just the way it should be. Like it's crazy. Like might save, these, a, these people are nuts. might save a few coal plants in the process too. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Coal is great. Coal is great energy. I mean, I don't even have a problem. Yeah. I mean, Knox and socks, which are, you know, uh, NOX and SOX, you know, the industry. I used literally used to do stack testing and, you know, analyze, you know, environmental apps for stack testing. We call it NOX and SOX, which is NOX and SOX. So nitrate, X, sub X, and um, sulfate, sub X. Mm-hmm. So SO2, SO3, NO2, NO3. Um, NOX and SOX. I mean, yeah, that's just bad, but it's also easily scrubbed out of the friggin' stack. It's not even expensive. So, like, you know, and, and those are upgrades that, you know, like those are upgrades that can be done, and I'm I'm not anti-environment. I'm I'm certainly anti-pollution. Yes, I'm just not I'm just not pro I'm just not pro global communism to stop human viruses. <laughs> yeah, and the, the and, virus that sorry the virus that is humanity. I mean, yeah, it, 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 conflating like you don't believe in climate change with your not environmentalist and your polluter is is one of the most frustrating things in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I say it on this podcast really all the time. I'm that dude that cleans up the beach. I yell at people when I, when I see them littering yeah. on the beach. I, dude, I, my, my, my partner in the newsletter gets angry with me when we're sitting there t- talking on the phone. I'm talking about you know, the latest things that we're composting. Because, I mean, it's like I was talking to him this morning about like, you know, the, the whole global electric circuit and how that may you know, have, a, have a, uh, a, has a, a strong correlation with like coronary events and people dying of, of heart attacks because, well, you know, this charged atmosphere the heart. He's like, when the hell did you turn into such a hippie? I'm like, dude, I've always been a hippie. Like, I'm just, you know, like, it's not, that's not hard. Like you looked at my wardrobe. Like, are you, what are you, what are you, what are you kidding here? Like, um, like I, I, I used to grow black soldier flies to feed to my chickens for Christ's sake. Like, dude, I've done, you know, I don't wear, you yell at me all the time and I never wear pants. Like, it's, it's, you know, and I never, I don't even like wearing shoes, Marty. I, I, whenever I have to go out in public, and I have to wear shoes for any length of time. I, I, I cause I work at home so long. Also, often for so long, I go days without putting shoes on. My my feet are like are they're becoming hobbit feet, and they don't like fit in my freaking shoes. It's crazy. If I wear shoes for more like three or four hours, I'm like I get angry. That's why I wear sandals all the time. That's uh, I'm a big barefoot. Like I don't put shoes on until I absolutely have to leave the house. Absolutely. And in the you make me wear shoes. God damn it! In the summer, I'll go months of from down the shore in Jersey. I'll go months without wearing shoes. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I haven't had a pair. Of, the only time I, 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 you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's the summertime, right? Or it's, it's spring here in Florida, which is the summer for everybody else. And then it'll be, and then it'll be, you know, summer for you guys. And we'll be in the eighth circle of hell. Um, I, yeah, if I don't leave, if I don't go out into the world, I won't even put on sandals. I might put on sandals because the sand in my front yard is so hot that I can't walk across it because it's, you know, 200 degrees and it's, you know, melting mm-hmm. my feet. But other than that, it's like, you know, it's just whatever. It's like, and I've got goats and I've got ducks and I've got all sorts of stuff I got to walk through every day. And I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Wash your feet off and move on. 
It's uh, we need more barefoot warriors out there. I'm happy uh, I, to know that you're one, and that it's people like you that make me think that we're gonna win. <laughs> I hope. I, I you know again, it's like everything else. I thank you, but when I'm when I'm really at the um, what I'm interested in at this point is this giving people as much good information as possible, trying to project forward what you're seeing today into, you know, into the near future and hope that you're looking for the sign. I, I, I'm, I'm always hopeful, right? So I'm always looking for the signs where good things could be happening, right? Even though sometimes I, that may put me in a place which is where I'll put forth an idea, which turns out to be false or turns, turns out to be wrong or turns out to be overly optimistic. I really didn't think there was going to be a hot war in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, I was convinced there wasn't going to be a hot war in Ukraine, even though the signs were all there. And when you, and, and it's because I, for in no way, manner, shape, or form, did I believe, did I want to believe that the neoconservatives within the U.S. and the U.K. Um, foreign policy establishment were strong enough to force a physical kinetic confrontation with the Russians over Ukraine, which then has the possibility of leading to nuclear war, which is where we are today. And, you know, you discount that completely or you put that in the 2% category, then it also means that, well, then there's not going to be a, a NATO war in Ukraine. And therefore there's not going to actually be a wider war between the Russian army and the Ukrainian army. Cause at the end of the day, the Russians are going to wipe out the Ukrainian army's infrastructure quickly with their superior weaponry and then it's just a long slow ugly mop-up operation after that if the ukrainians don't surrender which is where we are today and now that now that we see that nato led by the u.s and the uk and really with the with the eu not really saying no here and there germany's trying to like say no and yes at the same time yes we still want to buy russian oil and russian natural gas but um, yeah, so let's go to war with, you know, it's like, yeah, Russia, you, we're going to go to war with you, but you can still sell us oil and gas. And the Russians are like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> how about that? Yeah. How, how, I don't think so. Um, so they're playing that game. And, um, well, now we're at that point where it's, they're pushing in a way that is, is really scary. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Then you finally, so, I think I saw this on your feed too. Like the, the, what was it? The city Buka? Yeah, Bucha. Turn, and it turns out it was the Asmanov Battalion. That yeah, was, uh, the Azov Battalion. So uh, as of today, I saw it was about a couple of hours ago, and I still haven't quote completely confirmed this, but uh, it came from you know a, a, it came from a news source Twitter feed. So um, that MI6 British intelligence stated that the uh, massacre at Bucha was pulled off and or staged by the Ukrainian army the azov battalion which comports with everything else i've heard about what's happened on the ground in ukraine that they've been you know shooting people in the back for trying to leave the cities and you know and, and all the rest of it because you know this the idea and the russians have overplayed this idea that there are nazis every running around everywhere in ukraine like they've overplayed this for pro propaganda purposes and it's ham-fisted but it's not untrue okay they may have overplayed it, but it does not mean, therefore, it is untrue. That's bullshit. It's 70% true or 50% true. It's, it's, it's true enough that the Ukrainian leadership 
within both the art within both the military and the political class are driven by the Azov Battalion and the effectively neo-Nazis, but not the rank and file Ukrainian soldiers, not you know everyday civilians and everybody else. So in my mind, real um because I need to get going. I need to I need to to, to do the I need, like I've got other work I've got to get done today, but I've really enjoyed the chat. So um but the um in my mind, MI6 making that announcement who would be for me the you know uh, the most likely candidate prime suspect number one for having staged Bucha in the first place because they've staged every other damn false flag we've seen against Russia in the last 10 years. To come out and say that means that they have guys trapped in Mari- in the steel mill, the steel complex in Mariupol, and they've made a horse trade. We'll give up on the Bucha narrative if you allow our guys to get out of there without an announcement that they were there officially in the first place. But everybody knows they're there. It's what's got French, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron in hot waters. Everybody knows that there, that Mariupol was um, where a lot of French military was training Azov Battalion, you know, and and coordinating operations for the Ukrainian military, and they were in Mariupol doing it. And now they got trapped, and then they tried to get out, and the Azov Battalion guys that were there started using them as human shields because they knew that the Russians were going to come in and kill them all. That's why they're still trapped there. Yeah, I mean, the French tried multiple operations to get them out of there. French and the British working directly with Nazis. French and the British and the Canadians and the Americans. Everybody's in there. Yeah. Hundreds of hundreds of people. Well, I don't know about hundreds, but let's say a couple hundred. Upwards of a couple hundred. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. This is what you're supporting with your this tax is, dollars. This is, yeah, this is your tax dollars at work. So I get to go. This is why I got to go. I got to go home. I got to go downstairs and start, you know, totaling up how much I get to send to, I get to send to Ukraine so that Zelensky can, you know, kill Russians. Yeah. Great. Well, and his own people. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Uh, Let's absolutely. do it again sometime. Um, whenever you want. All right. Just do, give me a give me a call. I'll be happy to do it. I will. Okay. Um, go uh, have fun doing your taxes. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't wait. And uh, I'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Freeze. Thank you, Marty. You have a great day now. Thank you. You too. Peace and love.